And so by way of introduction, just to set this scripture up, I'm reminded of a time years and years ago. This was, I, I want to say, this is close to 20 years ago. Maybe, I don't know, 17, 18 years ago. Uh, Brenda and I, um, you know, we, well, planted this church in 2007. And before that, we had planted uh, Revival Christian Fellowship in Menifee. That's, a, that's the first church we ever planted. We started it. There's a little Bible study in our house. And by God's grace, we watched it grow. And, and I was there until 2007 when we, when we left to come plant this church. But while we were there, we had a member of, of our church, and they worked with the deaf community. They actually worked at a deaf um, uh, school, a vocational school, um, primarily for young adults, and what they were helping those with with uh, the hearing disabilities, um, they were helping them in job placement. And so, what they would do is uh, they had, uh, you know, all kinds of programs and stuff that that were available to the, these uh, these folks. And uh, and and the the one would bring, they would drive a bus, they would come to the church. And we had a whole deaf section set up at the church. I mean, they took up three rows, and we had an interpreter there for them and so on. And, uh, and so we, as we, you know, we would worship the Lord, and as the teaching would go forth, you know, the, we'd crank up the bass, you know, so they could just feel the music. Even though they couldn't hear the music, they could feel the music in their, their chest and all, and, and, you know, just the signing along to the words and... And then, you know, at there, as we do here, after the message, uh, we would respond and we would have, uh, you know, just this time of response where, you know, as, uh, as, as folks come forward, we didn't do communion every week there as we do here, but we would encourage people to respond and come up for prayer, just as we do here. And, and so, you know, if you're, if you're new here, basically here's kind of what we do every week. We, at the end of the message, we, we have a time of response. We partake of communion because Jesus said we should do this often in remembrance of him. And so it's a time of response as God has been ministering to us and moving in our hearts. And, uh, and so we would have this time of response. We would have folks down up, you know, at the altar, pastors and elders and our wives available to pray for the people, just as we do here. You know, the time of communion will come, and some of you will come forward for prayer um, and, and be prayed for before you, you go and partake of the communion elements, taking the bread and the cup and going back to your chair. And some of you, you won't partake of prayer. You'll just simply go and get your communion elements and so on. So, and this is how it works. And so we, we had this time of response, and this, 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 this one particular deaf guy comes forward. I, I can't remember his name. It's been years ago, but we'll call him Dan. Dan comes forward, and Dan needs prayer. So he's got his interpreter there, and he's, and he's asking me uh, for prayer. Now let me put the pause button here just for a moment. How many of you have ever had a moment where you stuck your foot in your mouth so badly you just wanted to crawl away? So Dan comes up for prayer, and he shares with me through his interpreter that, uh, hey, you know, I'm having a hard time getting into the Word during the week. I'm busy, and I'm working, and i got a lot of responsibilities, and I'm having a hard time getting into the Word in the middle of the week. And so your pastor looks this man in the eye, speaking through his interpreter, and says to him, you know, there is some wonderful Christian teaching on K-Wave Radio. 
It's 107.9, and you can put it in. And, you, and this guy incredulously is sitting there looking at me, and he's like, I'm deaf. <laughs> he's just been talking through his interpreter this whole time, but just as I say that, he says, he mouths, he yells, I'm deaf. <laughs> and I'm like, you're right, and I'm an idiot, you know. Now, so I tell you that story for two reasons. Number one, I just don't want there to be any illusion. Your pastor is no Mensa candidate. I'm just saying. I'm an idiot just as much as the rest of them. And oh gosh, how embarrassing is that? Uh, but, but the second reason I tell you that, I tell you that by way of introduction to where we're at here in Luke chapter 11. Uh, because that poor guy, truth is, there is great teaching on K-Wave. And he could listen to it 24-7 and it ain't going to do him a bit of good because he's deaf, right? Well, just as he could listen all day and not have, it, have any effect, as we continue in Luke chapter 11, the point is that Jesus is about to make, look, you can have all the light in the world that you could possibly have, but if you're blind, it don't matter. Just as, you know, if you're deaf, the radio ain't going to help you. If you're blind... The brightest light ain't going to help you. That's Jesus' point here. Pick it up. Luke chapter 11, verse 33. Jesus says, No one, when he has lit a lamp, puts it in a secret place or under a basket, but on a lampstand that those who come in may see the light. The lamp of the body is the eye. Therefore, when your eye is good, your whole body also is full of light. But when your eye is bad, your body also is It's full of darkness. Therefore, take heed that the light which is in you is not darkness. If when your whole body is full of light, having no part dark, the whole body will be full of light as when the bright shining of a lamp gives you light. Last week, if you were with us, you will recall that Jesus was performing miracles, and in particular, he had cast out a demon from a demon-possessed man. And what happens is that there were those people, they saw Jesus' work, and basically there was three types of people that Jesus responded and spoke to in the crowd that saw him, that responded to him. There were those who rejected Jesus' work outright. They said, what you do is by the power of Beelzebub. It's by the, 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 the Lord of the Flies is what it meant, or the Lord of the Dwelling. This was a common title that they would give to Satan, and they basically said, we ain't receiving what you're doing, you're satanic, and so they just flat out rejected Jesus' work outright. There was a second group, they wanted more proof. They're like, hey, cool, that was a nice little trick, But before we'll believe, we want to see you do some miraculous sign in the heavens. You've done a work on the earth. Great. Good for you. Big whoop. We want to see something else before we're going to believe. And then there was a third group that responded to Jesus' work. And basically, they appreciated what Jesus had done. They thought, oh, that's, that's kind of cool and all. But it never went beyond that. It didn't reach down into their heart. It didn't reach down into their soul. They didn't surrender their lives to Jesus as Lord and Savior, they just kind of said, yeah, that's cool, that's neat, you know, whatever. And so Jesus here, what he's doing in these verses is he's responding to this group. And so what he, what he says to them basically 
is there in verse 33, he's like, look, essentially, I lit a lamp, I displayed it, but you guys, you are blind to it. You're blind to what I said, you're blind to what I did. And because you're blind to it, it doesn't matter how brightly that light shined, listen, it makes no difference. Just like poor, deaf Dan, doesn't matter how great the the teaching is, you can listen to it all day long, it just is not going to make a difference. See, here's what the Bible says. The Bible says that God's word is the light that shines in this dark world. But it's not enough that the light shines externally. God's light has to shine internally before it can do any good. Paul told the Corinthians this. He said, God, who said, let there be light in the darkness, has made this light, and here's the key, shine in our hearts so we could know the glory of God that is seen in the face of Jesus Christ. So we're going to look at three things today here in our text. We're going to see, number one, that the purpose of light is to be displayed. Secondly, we're going to see that the reception of light is essential. And the third thing we're going to look at is that the possibility exists that we can mistake darkness for light. So we start, first point, the purpose of light is to be displayed. What does Jesus say? Verse 33, no one, when he has lit a lamp puts it in a secret place or under a basket, but on a lampstand that those who come in may see the light. The purpose is that it would be displayed. And again, Jesus is saying this to this group, basically saying, look, I displayed the light and you all are blind to it. But Jesus says something very similar regarding us about displaying the light in Matthew's gospel, Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, put it on the screen for you. Here's what Jesus says, speaking of you and me. He's talking to his disciples, but now 2,000 years ago, he's talking to us in this room who call ourselves followers of Jesus, Christians by name. He says, you, Christian, you're the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city that's set on a hill cannot be hidden Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lamp stand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. The purpose of light is to be displayed. And I want you to notice here in these verses, Jesus never said that we are to become salt or that we are to become light. He simply said that we are. In Jesus Christ, the eye is opened, the light floods in, you are then possessors, ambassadors, distributors of that light, and at the end of the day, you're either going to fulfill that, or you are going to fail that. That is, that is the way it is going to be. Now, a key thought in both pictures that Jesus paints in Matthew's gospel, as he talks about being salt and light. I actually caught that guy. Gee whiz. All right. Um, got a messenger of Satan up here flying all around me. Jesus there in Matthew's gospel, um, a key thought of both salt and light is distinction. Is distinction. Basically, we need to be distinctly different from the world 
that we live in. This is Jesus' point. I like what David Guzik said. He said, to be effective, we must seek and display the Christian distinctive. We can never affect the world for Jesus by becoming like the world. And so this is this distinction that Jesus is talking about. He says, your salt and your light. Salt is needed because the world that we live in is rotting and decaying, and salt produces a preserving effect, just as the Word of God produces this preserving effect. And so the the salt is needed. Uh, And, you know, the point is, if our Christianity is also rotting and decaying, it's not going to do any good. As well, Jesus said light is needed because the world is in darkness. And if our life imitates the darkness, then we don't have anything to shine forth to the world. And so, so these things are, are both needed. Being the light of the world means not only that we are light receivers, it means that we're light givers. In other words, we can't just live for ourselves. We have to live in such a way that, that not, not just living for ourselves, we have to live in such a way that we par- intentionally let our light shine, that we are participating in Jesus' mission to the world. Uh, It doesn't just happen by chance, by the way. You have to be intentional about that kind of thing. Now, Jesus illustrates the intentionalness of letting our light shine by comparing us to a lampstand. And Jesus says here, no one, when he's little lamp, he puts it in a secret place or under a basket, but up on a lampstand. And the idea here is that just as lamps are placed up on a lampstand, placed higher so that they can broadcast more light... Well, so also that we are supposed to live in such a way that the light that is in us, if we've asked Christ to be our Lord and Savior, that we display that for a darkened world to see in great ways and in broad ways as the Lord might lead us, just like that city that's set on a hill. I like what Charles Spurgeon said about that. He said, the object of our shining is not that men may see how good we are, nor even see us at all but that they may see grace in us and God in us and that they may cry, what a father these people must have. And what an incredible thing. By the way, in Matthew's gospel, when, when Jesus is talking about being salt and light, uh, it's, the first, it's the, that first time where uh, he, when he says, they may see your good works and glorify your father in heaven. In Matthew's gospel, that's the very first time that, that God is referred to as our Father in the Gospel of Matthew. And, and so, man, just seeing God in us, what a, what a, what a great time for, for God to call us His Father when it's us displaying His light and living out. So the purpose of light is to be displayed. This is Jesus' point. And basically saying, look, I displayed the light and y'all didn't see it. You're all blind to it. And that brings us to the second point here in our text, that the reception of light is essential. It's essential. What's he say there in verse 34? The lamp of the body is the eye. Therefore, when your eye is good, your whole body also is full of light. But when your eye is bad, your body is also full of darkness. See, here's the thing. When we receive Christ by faith, our eyes are opened, right? The Bible says that the things of God are foolishness to those who are perishing. And we all can remember 
those times, or at least, like, you know, I grew up with Christian parents. It's hard for me to put my finger on when I received Christ as Lord and Savior. Um, so, so it, you know, and many of you have, you know, by God's grace, that testimony where you just grew up just saturated in the things of God. So, so the, not necessarily having this, this stark experience of the things of the, of, the, of the Lord being foolishness to you because you just sort of steeped in the things of the Lord and you grew up in that way. So by God's grace, I have that experience, but we have all had some sort of a experience, whether it's vicariously through somebody else that we know or whether it's by, you know, some experience internally, we all have some sort of experience where the things of the Lord seem foolish uh, to, to people. And then all of a sudden when the light bulb comes on, it's like, wow, all this stuff makes sense. Like I, could, I read my Bible now and it makes sense to me. Like it used to be in that place where it was like, uh, you know, what? You know, you read something, you're like, what? I don't get it, you know? And now where the Bible just makes sense. And so what happens is when we see Christ by faith, our eyes are open. The light shines in. And the Bible says we become children of light. Paul said this to the Ephesians. He said, you were once darkness, but now you're light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. And that word walk in Ephesians 5.8, it means to make progress through the due use of opportunities. Make, make progress by the due use of opportunities. The idea being that we take advantage of the light that is offered to us, that is given to us in Christ, and we then operate in a singular outlook of faith. In a singular outlook of faith. And that's exactly what Jesus is saying here in verse 34. He says that the lamp of the body is the eye. Therefore, when your eye is good, your whole body is also full of light. Now that word good, if you're given to taking notes in your Bible, there in in verse 34, you could circle that word good if your eye is good. Nearby, you could write this, you could write single, because that's literally what that word means. And here's the idea. What Jesus is saying is, if your eye is singularly focused, Jesus would say on me. If your eye is singularly focused on the word of God, the result is that your whole body will be full of light. Now, this is what Jesus was talking about last week in verse 23 when he said, he who is not uh, with me is against me. He who does not gather with me scatters. Here's the idea. The idea is, look, just as a lamp should be displayed in the open so that all can receive the light and respond to the light, so also the word of God should be displayed it should be received and it should be responded to. Yet Jesus is saying here to, the, to his listeners, he's saying, listen, look, I displayed my works and I displayed my words and not everybody received them. Some attributed my works to Satan, Jesus might say. Some demanded more proof. Uh, others appreciated Jesus' works, but they failed to respond to his commands. In other words, they ignored the work of Jesus that were right in front of them, and they effectively were walking in blindness. They saw the carpenter, but they didn't see the Christ. That's what was going on here. They saw the carpenter, they didn't see the Christ. And so this is what Jesus has in mind when he says, look, when your eye is bad... Your body is full of darkness. It's been said there's none so blind as those who will not see. 
But there's something else for us to take heed to here, that when our reception of light is compromised, well, then what can happen is we can begin to walk in the twilight. So we can be those, he says in verse 33, no one, when he has lit a lamp, puts it in a secret place or under a basket, but up on a lampstand. The idea here, he's saying, look, no sane person lights a lamp only to diminish it. That's just foolishness. But in fact, some people do just that. Sometimes we have the light of God that is given to us. We've become children of God. We've become a new creation in Christ. The Bible says, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things pass away. Behold, all things become new. That includes your eyes being opened, and now you can see. And what happens for some people is that they go from walking in that light of having God reveal himself to them They go from walking in that light and they begin to compromise. And they start to hide their light under a basket by the way that they act, by the things that they say, by the things that they do. Man, I don't want to sound like a Jesus freak. So so I'm just going to keep that under wraps, you know? And, And so what can happen is gradually, subtly, we stop being singularly focused and we start drifting into having one eye on God and one eye on the things of this world. This is what John was talking about, the Apostle John in 1 John chapter 2 when he said, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, he said, but it's of the world. So, so this, this is a, you know, a, a critical point here, man. You got to be very careful having received the light that you don't start walking in the twilight where you start dabbling in some of the things of darkness. Now, there's several guys in the Old Testament that illustrate this truth for us. Uh, King Saul illustrates this truth for us. A guy, once walking in the light, began to walk in darkness. Uh, Lot illustrates this truth for us. Once walking in the light, then walking in the darkness. But I think the best example for our text here today is Samson. Think about Samson. Here's a guy, spiritually speaking, he's born with a silver spoon in his mouth. Godly mother, godly father, God's hand is upon him. You read about him in Judges chapter 14 through 16. Here's this guy who does mighty things for God, like he single-handedly defeat scores of Philistines, hundreds of Philistines, single-handedly with the Spirit of God upon him, doing these mighty works for God. But Samson had an eye problem. And we see his eye problems show up very early in his life. First words out of his mouth. Hey, I saw a woman. Next words out of his mouth. Bring her to me. You know, and here's a guy, he's got an eye problem. And it's not long before we see him going into harlots, we see him, you know, shacking up with a Philistine woman, the enemies, sworn enemies of God. And, and, and again, one eye on the world, one eye on the things of God. Listen, here's, the, here's Samson's problem. He wanted to live in the twilight. Let me ask you a question. Are you living in the twilight? How are you living today? Do you have one eye on the things of God, one eye on the things of the world? Listen to this. It's very ironic. The, the name Samson, you know what it means? It means like the sun, S-U-N, like the sun. And here's the thing. When Samson had his eye on the Lord, he radiated the light of the Lord. He was like the sun. 
in how he lived his life. But when his eyes were darkened and Samson began to drift, ultimately, what did they do to Samson? Gouged his eyes out. What they did. No, no more sunlight for him. Man, that's where he got to. And again, it begs the question, is that you? Is that you? As you take a prayerful walk, as you just consider this before, honestly before the Lord, as you hold this idea in an open hand here before God, maybe I, I, I don't even need to do that. Holy Spirit's already beating me there. He's already on your heart going, hey, tune in to what's going on here. The writer of Hebrews tells us we must listen very carefully to the truth that we have heard or we may drift away from it. So the purpose of light is to be displayed. The reception of light is essential. This brings us to our third point. The possibility exists that we can mistake darkness for light. That we can mistake darkness for light. Listen again, verse 35. Jesus says, Therefore, take heed that the light which is in you is not darkness... If then your whole body is full of light, having no part dark, the whole body will be full of light, as when the bright shining of a lamp gives you light. The Apostle John said in his gospel that the Word gave life to everything that was created, and His life brought light to everyone. The Bible says that... that Jesus is the word that became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the one as as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and full of truth. And so the word is what gave life to everything that was created. And John emphasizes that his life brought light to everyone. But you have to receive the true light We have to be careful that the light that we receive is in fact the true light come from God because there is a false light. There is a counterfeit light that many will embrace. Paul talks about this in 2 Corinthians 11, verse 14. He says that Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. And so what happens is, is that if we are not careful, the possibility exists that we can mistake the darkness of the enemy for the true light of God. And let me tell you that this is happening a ton in the world in which we live. And I want you to keep in mind, as we're here in the text, what's happening 2,000 years ago in, in this context? What's going on with Jesus? Who is it that he's talking to? He's talking to the religious leaders. And they think they've got a really good bead on things. These religious leaders, they think that they know what's up. And so what happens is, their understanding is that, hey, we're God's chosen people, We have the law, and we are right with God because we keep the law. See, and and so that was the light that was in them. That's how they saw the world. That's how they operated. But they completely missed the point of the law. God did not give us his law so that we would do good and try harder and keep the law and thereby be right with him. He gave us the law so that we would recognize that we can't keep the law. That we would desperately recognize, I, I'm, there's something wrong with me. 
Because this is the standard. The, the, the Bible tells us that the wages of sin is death. Do you know what sin means? It means to miss the mark. That's what sin means. And what is the mark? God's righteous standard, which is revealed in the law. This tells us this is the bullseye. And you, in a sober looking at how everything works in your day-to-day operations... For crying out loud, just between the time you got out of your car and when you got into here, all, every last one of you has committed sin. It was either you were sinning because the parking attendants weren't working fast enough for you to, to, to get you to where you needed to be, or, or whatever the case may be. All of us have this sin, and that should bring us to the place where we go, I need help. This is exactly what Paul told the Galatians in Galatians 3, verse 24. He said, therefore, the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. In other words, the law was the tutor. The word is paedagogos. Every Jewish kid knew what the paedagogos was. The paedagogos was the guy that would hit him with the ruler when he got out of line. It was his tutor to train him in the things that he was supposed to do. And so... Paul says, the law isn't there to be nice on you. The law is to wrap you over the knuckles to show you, I need a savior. I need to be justified by faith, not by works, because I can't can't do it. So here in Luke 11, rather than receiving the true light, these religious leaders rejected that light, and and they were in the place to where they're saying, no, we're we're cool. We've got it all good. We're not going to receive what you have to say, Jesus, because we've got the law. And, and we're the Jewish people. We're the promised people. In Matthew's gospel, Jesus quoting the prophet Isaiah, he said of these religious leaders, these people draw near to me with their mouth and they honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me and in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. What did they do? They didn't receive the true light. They were deceived, Right? Now, the most obvious way that this applies to us is just the living out of our Christian faith. That if your idea of Christianity is in keeping the rules and keeping the regulations and in being made right with God by what you do, listen, I'm here to tell you this morning, that's not the true light of the gospel, okay? And if that's where you're at, you need to repent of that because you've been deceived. That's not the light of Christ. The light of Christ says that you, need, you desperately need a Savior, that you can try all day long to be the best Christian in the world, you're going to blow it. You're going to fail God. Now, that doesn't mean you give up, and that doesn't mean that you just wink at sin and go, well, whatever, God forgave it. No, it means you do your level best to honor the Lord and to live for Him, but when you fail, the Bible says a righteous man falls seven times, but he gets back up again. And it's the matter of saying, Lord, I'm made right with you, not because I can memorize the Ten Commandments and even keep the Ten Commandments. I mean, we can't keep the Ten Commandments, let alone memorize them, right? And so, you know, mo- most of y'all, I mean, that's the most ironic thing. You talk to somebody, how do you know you're, you're, you know, you're, uh, you're going to heaven? Oh, I'm a good person. Oh, really? You know, yeah, I, I keep the Ten, ten Commandments. And I always say, you, don't even, you can't even tell me the Ten Commandments. 
let alone keep the Ten Commandments, right? And so the, the issue is, man, I've got a Savior, Jesus. He died on the cross for my sin in my place. The Bible says that all of sin falls short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God, hey, it's eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. He suffered, died, was buried. He rose again on the third day. He conquered Satan's sin and death. He says that we are not saved by our works. We're saved by grace through faith. Right, And so it's placing our faith in the person and the work of Jesus Christ who paid the penalty for our sin. That's the most obvious implication here of this text. But listen, another alarming way that this applies to us as, as we look at, hey, the possibility exists that, that we can mistake darkness for light. Another alarming way that this applies to us is that we can embrace false doctrine. Not just the false doctrine that says, oh, you're right by what you do. You're right by your works. That is, in true, truth, a, a false doctrine. But there are so many other false doctrines that we embrace. The psalmist said this. The psalmist said, turn my eyes from worthless things and give me life through your word. Give me life, God, through your word turn my eyes away from those worthless things. I'm amazed lately at all of the worthless things that Christians look to instead of looking to the Word of God. There are no end of books that call themselves Christian books or resources, you know, different blogs that you can read. And people will eat those up like, like sugar, man. They will flock to those things. They, they don't necessarily spend that time in the Bible, but they will spend that time reading some so-called Christian author that really is just so much trash. It's just these worthless things. Turn my eyes from these worthless things is what the psalmist said. Turn my eyes from these books that really are humanistic in, in their origin or, or self-help oriented or these books that wink at sin. You know, these books that celebrate, oh, you know, I'm just, I'm just a messy person, you know. I'm just, I'm, just, I'm just a messy Christian. That's what I am. Hey, look, we are all a mess. We all got baggage. We all got carry-ons. That's true. But we can't just go, hey, you know what? You get me, you get out of me. I'm just a mess, and that's cool. No, I'm a, I'm a work of God, right? And, and he's got this ongoing work of sanctification that he wants to do in my life. I can't just go, hey, you get me, you get all of me, I'm a Christian mess, and whatever, deal with it. That's not a Christian attitude. And so the thing is, is that what we need to do, listen, God, speaking through the prophet Hosea, we got to heed his warning, because he said, my people are destroyed, listen, for a lack of knowledge. Why? Because you've rejected knowledge, he says, I reject you from bringing the priest to me. And since you've forgotten the law of your God, I'll also forget your children. See, here's the point. The possibility exists that we can mistake darkness for light and we have to be inc incredibly careful that our eye, as Jesus says, is good. That it's singularly focused. Singularly focused on the word of God. The psalmist said this, the entrance of your words gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. <clears throat> Who here has seen the movie The Men in Black? Men in Black, right? There's a scene in that where Will Smith's character all of a sudden becomes aware. Let me find some water here. Will Smith's character all of a sudden becomes aware 
that there is such a thing as uh, aliens, and that in fact they've been inhabiting the world for a very long time. Now, it's a fictional story. But all of a sudden, he's sitting there. Now, there's this one scene with Agent, I think it's Agent Q, and Will Smith's character, and Will Smith is just sort of speechless and dumbfounded. And Agent Q says this to him. He says, 1,500 years ago, everybody knew that the earth was the center of the universe. 500 years ago, everybody knew that the earth was flat. 15 minutes ago, you knew that we were alone on, a, on this planet. He says, imagine what you'll know tomorrow. In other words, you don't know what you think you know is the idea. Well, listen, here's what Jesus said. Jesus said, I am the light of the world, and he who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Look, the point is, is that you can't go by what you think you know. You have to have God turn on, open up your eye, and he needs, his light is what needs to shine into your life and what needs to shine into my life, and it's his light that needs to lead us on. Paul told the Ephesians, the light makes everything visible. That's why it is said, awake, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. You're not going to be sleepwalking through life. He's going to give you the light to see how you should walk and what it is that you should do. Now listen, let me close with this. Here's what happens when Jesus gives you light. Okay, when you endeavor today to say, you know what, God, and maybe, you know, you're in a couple of different categories today. Maybe the category you're in is, well, I've been walking, I've been starting getting off the path. I got one eye on the world. I got one eye on the things of God. I'm starting to walk in the twilight. I venture to say most of you uh, that, that are convicted by this word are in that place. Wow. I got one eye on the world. I got one eye on, on the, you know, the things of God. I'm walking in the twilight. Wow. God. I need to get, I, forgive me. I need to get back on track. I need to be looking to the light of your word. But there's another group of you here today. Maybe you're in a place where you need God to flip that switch. You need God to make you a new creation in Christ. The things of the Lord have seemed foolishness, like foolishness to you. And it's because you're walking in darkness, you're blind. And the light has been shining and you've been a blind man, you've been a blind woman, you haven't been able to see it at all. And today God wants to open your eyes and show you, hey, guess what? There's a different reality. And the reality is, is that you're a sinner saved by grace. And I'm a God who's real. I love you. I gave my son for you. This is the light that we're to walk in. And so, so some of you today, you might be in that category. Some of you today, you're in the category of, I am a new creation in Christ. But I've, I've, I've been like Samson walking in the twilight. Listen, here's what happens when you make the decision. Hey, God, open my eyes. Let me see the light. When you see with God's eyes, when you see like Jesus sees, listen, you're going to see the kingdom of God in a mustard seed of faith. When you see like Jesus sees, you're going to see the adoring woman in a harlot. You won't see the harlot. You will see who God sees. When, when, when you see, when God turns on that light, you will see a rock-solid man in, in a blow-it of a man. You look at Peter's life. Jesus looked at Peter, and he said, you're, you're a rock. You're, 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 you're a rock, Peter. And all of his buddies probably were like, yeah, right, you know, because Peter was a blow-it. Now, when you see like Jesus sees, that's what you're going to see. When you see like Jesus sees, you're going to see a loving man in a hothead like James or John. When you see like Jesus sees in a child, you're going to see not just a child, you're going to see a citizen of heaven.
when you see like Jesus sees, what's going to happen is you're going to partake of communion as we partake of communion. And your attitude is not going to be, <clears throat> this is just some little cracker, some stale cracker and some little cup of juice. No, you're going to see the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. That's what happens when you see like Jesus sees. When you see like Jesus, you're going to see the mess of your life when you look yourself in the mirror. And you're going to say, yeah, my life is a mess, but by God's grace, I'm being sanctified. I'm being renewed day by day, converted into the image of God. Listen to this as I close. Jeremiah, last scripture. He said, call to me. Listen, it all builds up to this. He said, call to me. I will answer you, and I'll show you great and mighty things. What's the next next words? Which you do not know. Guys, that's the point. You don't know. You have no idea. You don't have a clue. We think we see. We think we've got the line on it. We think that we know, but God's the one who knows, and we need God to turn that light on. We need him to flick that switch because God's the one who does. He says, look, I'll show you this stuff. You don't have a clue. You don't know, but I know. And that's what we need. We need the light of God to illuminate our minds and our eyes so that we can walk the way that he wants us to walk, so that we can see what he wants us to see, so we can do what he wants us to do. Are you ready to do that?